Well, good morning, Community Church. Welcome all of you here at the Mount Pleasant campus. Also, welcome to those of you at the Alma campus, and uh, also those of you who are worshiping with us online. Uh, We are going through our Moses series this summer, and we're going to jump in here in a second. But before we do, uh, I just wanted to take another moment just to celebrate what happened in this space uh, over the last week or so. This is an entire church effort. Uh, Vacation Bible School certainly is hundreds of men and women, teenagers, adults, volunteers from all over. Um, And there were a lot of reasons this last week or this year, months ago when we started to plan, uh, where uh, there was just some hurdles to get over, some things to figure out and how to do it well during COVID, um, and we pressed on and persisted. And so what an incredible week. Hund- or hundreds of kids were in this space, and uh, many, many kids, I don't think we've had to count yet, put their faith in Christ for the very first time. And so that is, we're celebrating as a church. Well done. I did youth ministry here at Community Church for a number of years, and I can't even count the number of kids who put their faith in Christ for the first time at Vacation Bible School, um, and that has grown into something pretty amazing. And I'm especially excited because in just a few weeks, we'll be hosting the very first Vacation Bible School at the Alma campus. Uh, This last week, we had Alma campus folks who were coming up to Mount Pleasant to serve, and we have a lot of Mount Pleasant campus folks that are going down to Alma to serve that week. Uh, But what a kingdom-driven way to to care for the community, to welcome kids in and share the gospel with them. Uh, Would you open up in a word of prayer with me? Father, I just uh, pray for every seed that was planted this last week. God, I pray that that would grow. Um, God, you'd use this church. Uh, You would use us to continue to to see those young people take those decisions and discover what it means to love and follow you and and know you all the days of their life. God, I pray over this word I'm about to speak. God, I pray anything from you would stick to our hearts and convict and and move us forward. Um, And God, anything that's not from you, anything that's, that's from me, God, just let that be forgotten quickly. Pray this in your name. Amen. Forty years have passed from where we were last week uh, in the book of Exodus to where we are now. Forty years have come and gone for Moses since he fled from Egypt. Forty additional years, as Pastor Wally called it uh, last week, forty years of marriage, forty years of raising a family, living in a new country, uh, forty years of a new career as a shepherd, forty long years. Think about how long that is. Where were you 40 years ago? Yeah, if you're my age, you weren't even around 40 years ago. 40 years ago from right now was 1981. 40 years ago, Raiders of the Lost Ark premiered in theaters. The first female was appointed to the Supreme Court. Uh, President Ronald Reagan was shot. And Pastor Aaron was negative four years old. <laughs> that is a long time time. Moses has been in hiding for 40 years. Meanwhile, 40 years of additional bondage and slavery for the Israelites, for God's people back in Egypt. 40 years of captivity and struggle. Exodus 2 says that the Israelites groaned because of their situation and cried out to God for help. In Exodus 2.24, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, And with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God hadn't forgotten. Even if the Israelites were worried that he may have, in fact, by all accounts, as they were enslaved, it seemed like God must have forgotten. 
God heard them and he was ready to call Moses out here in Exodus chapter 3 out of hiding and to use him to lead his people out of captivity. But while God hadn't forgotten, Moses may have. Forty years. Imagine for Moses it felt like an entire lifetime. He had probably spent many of those years trying to forget, to forget the struggle of his own people, that they were enslaved back in Egypt while he was living a life somewhere else. You wonder, for the first portion of Moses' life, he lived as a part of the royal family in Egypt, and how he must have tried to reconcile his comfortable lifestyle while his people suffered around him. Now, in this season of his life, he doesn't even have the reminder surrounding him of their enslavement. Moses, by all account, likely mentally and physically removed himself from the situation. And I have to wonder, did he think about it much? To imagine it was probably easier not to think about it. Moses might have forgotten. Uh, This summer, we're looking at the life of Moses And Moses is an incredible individual from the Old Testament. There are wonderful things to learn from his life and many reasons why, like we said at the start of this series, Moses is a pivotal man, not just in the Bible, but in history. When we think of Moses, we think of a hero. But most people aren't naturally heroic. Today we'll see that Moses didn't have a typical hero's response when God actually called him. We'll see that Moses was human. He had failures and flaws and ways that he fell short just like us. And as we look today at God calling Moses out of hiding, we'll see that Moses had more than just a few excuses. But I want to start with a question. Have you ever made an excuse to God? Have you ever made an excuse? Maybe you had a feeling in your gut And you felt like maybe God was trying to tell you to do something, but you didn't move on it right away. And eventually that feeling in your gut just kind of went away. Or maybe there was an opportunity with a friend or a coworker, and you felt like God was giving you a nudge to say something or a way that you could respond, but then getting a little bit scared and coming up with an excuse on how to avoid a potential awkward situation. Have you ever made an excuse to God before? I know that I have. If you belong to God, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has a calling on your life. He has a purpose for you. He wants to lead you. He wants to make you his hands and feet to be part of making his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. For some of you, God wants to use you to repair broken marriages. Marriages that are falling apart and use you to step in and to be able to repair and bring peace and reconciliation. For others of you, you have a gift for working with kids, and specifically kids who come from impossible home situations and have no support system, and God is wanting to use you to become a foster parent or to be a mentor with Kids Hope. Or for some of you, you've overcome incredible struggles in your life, addiction. And God wants to use you to help others now in suffering in the same struggles and addictions that you overcame. But here's the thing, you haven't moved on it yet. If left to yourself, in fact, actually, you you may never do it. You've made excuse after excuse after excuse. And if that's you, 
you'll see today that you're in pretty good company. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open with me to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, another quick reminder that if you don't carry your Bible around with you, the Bible app is a free app on the App Store, and you can not only find uh, Scripture in there, but you can also find discipleship questions that we put in there for community groups um, under the Events tab. Uh, but the good news is, as we open up to Exodus 3, that God can use people who make excuses like us. And God is also all about second chances. And lucky for me, he's also about third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And so follow along with me, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And so Moses is caring for the sheep that belong to his wife's father. Uh, and you imagine what Moses' life must have been like during this season of time. Every day as a shepherd, he walked over the same terrain. He had the same routine. He watched over the same sheep. Last week, we looked at what life for Moses was likely like in Egypt some 40 years earlier. Living as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was likely pampered living in luxury. What a stark difference to what he's experiencing now. In Genesis 46, when Joseph is bringing his family into Egypt generations earlier, they settle in the land of Goshen, which is a land that's great for raising livestock. And so many of uh, the early Israelites did just that. They were shepherds. The Bible says in Genesis that shepherds were loathsome to the Egyptians. There's another translation that says that they were an abomination. And so Moses, who was raised by all accounts as an Egyptian, is now doing what he was raised to despise. He's living the life of a shepherd. What an incredibly humbling experience. And this day for Moses, I have to imagine, was a day like any other day. He's trying to find pasture for his sheep. And this is a good first idea that when God is going to move in your life, he often won't warn you in advance. You know, God might actually try to get your attention or give you a calling when you least expect it, on a day like any other day. And so the reminder for us is to be ready for it. Continues in verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So the angel of the Lord appears to Moses. And there are times in the Bible when an actual angel appears to man, but we'll see very soon that this is God himself speaking to Moses. And so the angel of the Lord is another name for God in this case. So Moses is moving along. He's caring for his sheep. He sees a bush that is on fire but not consumed. Now, this is kind of a strange sight. In the desert, everything is dry. And so if something's on fire, it's going to burn. And it's probably going to burn quickly. And so this is an unusual thing to see. It's weird. And consequently, it gets Moses' attention. It's interesting to note that God communicates in a lot of different ways. There are times when he spoke to those who came before Moses in the Bible in an audible voice. God speaks primarily to us through his word, although he certainly can use other means as well. But God gets Moses' attention through a burning bush. So be open to God trying to speak to you in ways that you don't expect 
God can often put things in our path or put things in place that are undeniable or confirming of things that he might be calling us towards. And what an important skill for us as followers of Christ to be able to develop, to hear from a God who wants to communicate with us. Then in verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. And God here goes on to tell Moses that he has seen his people's misery. He has heard their cries. He is concerned. So God says, I am going to respond, and I am going to respond by sending you. So how do you think Moses responds here? Does he have that hero's voice saying, here I am, Lord. That's my best hero's voice. I am ready. I'm going to respond. Not exactly. In fact, we're going to see that Moses has five excuses on why he is not the man for the job. And each excuse for Moses relates to a problem that he faces. You know, it's common for us to use our problems as excuses to not do God's will. Well, I, I can't do that. I'm just too busy. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time to do that, God. Don't use your problems as excuses to not do God's will. In verse 11, it continues, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Here's Moses' first excuse. I'm not capable. Forty years earlier, Moses, his actions had this, this sense of look who I am. From the outside looking in, you know, Moses was in a perfect place that appeared to, to make a big difference for the Israelites in Egypt. But... Last week we saw Moses takes matters into his own hands and he murders an Egyptian and it causes him to be in hiding for almost 40 years. And so here we see Moses 40 years later and we see a humble man, a very different place for him. You know, when you're self-appointed, when you're not ready, when you're not prepared, you can rush ahead and sometimes being foolhardy can lead to failure because In those cases, often you're doing it under your own power. That is the problem with being self-confident. Now, on the other extreme, having no confidence in yourself, saying, I can't do that, there's no way, I won't do that, refusing, that's ultimately disobedience. So the balance between two extremes of having a self-confidence and having no confidence is the sweet spot having a God confidence, having a confidence in an almighty God. And God's response in verse 12, God says, I will be with you. You don't have to worry about it on your own, Moses. I will be with you. It's not who you are that's important. It's who's with you. And God is saying, if I'm with you, it doesn't matter who you are. If you belong to God, you put your faith and trust in him, then God is with you at all times. Jesus in the Great Commission said, surely I am with you to the end of the age. I just want to take a second here. If we could grasp that, 
If we could fully comprehend that wherever we go as followers of God, we bring the presence of God with us. That wherever you go, God will be there. And that God has a purpose for your life. He has stuff for you to do. That's absolutely mind-bogglingly amazing. And so who are you? You belong to the Most High God and bring the presence of God with you wherever you go. Now go and walk in that authority. So God responds to Moses' incapability with his presence. He says, don't worry about the ways that you fall short, Moses. I will be with you. Let's continue in verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Moses is saying, God, I I don't even know your name. I don't even know what to call you. Uh, His second excuse is, I lack the knowledge. I don't know the right answers. I don't know enough to do what you're calling me to, God. I I don't even know what to call you. Now, Moses, growing up in Egypt, had grown up with a large number of false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Hundreds of names, many names, many identities. And Moses here is talking to the God. He says, I don't even know what to call you. And God says this to Moses. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. I am is the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, of self-existence and immediate presence. God answers Moses that his existence is not contingent upon anyone else. His plans are not contingent on any other circumstance. In his name, he promises that he will be what he will be. That is, he is the eternally constant God. And that God stands ever-present and unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills to do and to accomplish what he wills to accomplish. In the name I am, he declares that he is a present, existent God. And that is as true today as it was thousands of years when he spoke it to Moses. And so he is here, his promise in the name I am, in your present circumstance. God is present in your life. And he says to Moses, that is who you are to say I am. I am the I am. Do you honestly believe that God is presently active in your life? I think for many of us, we can honestly believe that, you know, God has done a work in my past. He's covered the problem of sin. He's, he's forgiven me for the ways that I've made mistakes in, in, in before me. And we can look to our future and believe, you know, I honestly believe that there's a promise for heaven for me as a follower of, of Jesus, that, you know, that one day, uh, that that time will come when I die and I'll get to spend eternity with him. But the in-between, our past and our future sags. It slumps. We're overly worried about right now. We don't live as if we believe that God is working now. And you might say, I don't know if he's active. I don't know if he's here in my present circumstance. I believe he did a work back then. I believe that he's going to do something in the future. But what about right now? I think this is a reminder here that God is living and active now. He is working now. He has a plan for you and your life right now. Moses is saying that he lacks the knowledge. Have you ever had a similar excuse? I can't share about my faith. 
I can't open up to someone about believing in Jesus because I might not know the right answers or the right thing to say. I might look like a fool. Remember when I was in college, I was part of a college ministry here at CMU, and we had a, a spring break trip called Beach Reach that we went on. And when I was 19, I went on this trip for the first time. We all loaded into 15 passenger vans, and we drove down to Panama City Beach during spring break um, so that we could give safe, free van rides to anyone who wanted um, while they were uh, a little intoxicated, making their way around. And uh, our hope was, through this experience, we'd be able to evangelize to them and you know, share about the love of Jesus. And I remember the first night we get in the vans, and we're out there, the doors open, and being petrified. You know, as I'm witnessing to people face-to-face, my, my, my peers, what if I don't know the answers to their questions? And every fear was realized very quickly because uh, these drunk college students were very philosophical and they were asking all sorts of questions about the problem of sin and the origins of the universe and evolution. And I remember being like, oh my goodness, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the answers. But the amazing part was this team environment, we would get to the end of, of our timeout, we'd come together as a team, we'd talk about what happened. Uh, and I learned more about answers to these big questions walking through this experience than I would have through another circumstance. And so you may say, what if I don't know the answer to the questions that they ask me? You know, that's actually a good thing because it'll force you to go home and find an answer and then you'll know. God goes on to tell Moses here exactly what's going to happen when he goes into Egypt. God knows exactly what's going to happen step by step. He knows the future. He knows the story from beginning to end. And isn't it comforting to know that God never panics? He's never surprised. When you are walking through a really tough circumstance that's taken you by surprise, remember that God knew this was going to happen. He saw this. And that you can trust that God is going to have you prepared. He's going to get you through. He will see you through to the end because he's faithful. And God responds to Moses' lack of knowledge by giving him answers. We get to chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Moses answered God, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? So here we see Moses' third excuse. He's saying, I'm afraid. What if they don't believe me? He's a worrier. There was a, an old man who's reflecting back on his life, thinking of what he spent most of his time worrying about. And after thinking about it for a while, he spent most of his time worrying about things that never happened. Fear. Especially a fear of what others may think. It's probably the biggest hindrance to us individually responding to God's calling. Think of a work situation. And the potential that if I bring something up or if I say something, how are people going to respond? Is there going to be repercussions in the way that people engage with me? Maybe you think of a family situation and you know that all they really need is to, you know, to discover what I've discovered when it comes to knowing Christ, but not wanting to go there because of fear. You know, we can project situations and assume things are going to happen because of fear, even though they may never happen. God responds to Moses' fear. He says, what is that in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. 
and he ran from it, which is probably the smartest thing that Moses did during this, uh, this whole interaction. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, the Lord said, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. He said, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses has a staff, cast it on the ground. God equips Moses with a miracle here so that those who were listening to him would believe that the God of their fathers had appeared to Moses. And it makes sense that Moses would be carrying a staff. Uh, shepherds during this time would typically have a staff in one hand and a rod in the other. With the staff, they would guide the sheep and, and walk along, and with the rod, they would protect the sheep from predators. And so what is in your hand? If what is in your hand is placed into the Lord's hand, it can become a mighty tool. So what has God placed in your hands? It could be a gift or a skill. It could be resources. No, what's in your hand can become powerful in God's hands. In fact, God may have placed it in your hands on purpose. As we read along, God gives Moses additional signs, and here's the bottom line. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. Moses says that he's fearful, and God answers, I'm powerful. Continue in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow in speech and tongue. And here we get to Moses' fourth excuse. I'm not equipped. How am I supposed to speak for you, God, if I can't even speak good? I have a speech impediment. I have no command of words. I, I failed speech class. I'm a stutterer. And what do we see from Moses here? Moses lacks confidence. And it might make sense in light of Moses' last season of life. He'd been in the desert for 40 years. I can't imagine sheep are good conversationalists. He's probably a bit of an isolationist. Uh, he's been out of the environment in Egypt. But the problem is we see Moses is focused on his weakness instead of God's strength. And God responds, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And so here's God's promise. If he calls you, he will equip you. You feel like God is calling you to do something. If he's calling you to do that, he will give you what you need. I was 25 years when they trusted me enough to come on staff here at Community Church as the youth pastor. And just a couple months in, I hadn't, don't even think I'd given a message yet. I took a group of high school students on my first missions trip to Memphis, Tennessee, and we were doing good work down there uh, in a neighborhood. And I had five talks lined up for five nights uh, to be able to talk on. And I remember I, I thought about it. I was getting notes down. That first night came. We all gathered together. And I went to give my first message. Uh, and for whatever reason, the words just did not come out. The notes, I couldn't remember what I'd written down. Half the students were sleeping because they were exhausted. Half of them were talking, not paying attention. Uh, and I don't think it was overly long. It was probably like seven or eight minutes, but I got to the end, and I felt like a complete 
failure. I felt about this big. And the, the whole time I'm thinking, man, I got to do four more of these over the course of this trip. But here's the amazing thing. Like in my inadequacy, uh, God showed up in a powerful way. And, and in fact, actually during the course of that week, we just saw an incredible response from the group that was there. And even in my perceived lack of ability, God filled the gap. I believe that God places a higher premium on your availability than he does on your ability. God cares a lot more about your heart and willingness to show up. And that way, when you're successful and it wasn't of your own doing, God gets the glory. In fact, sometimes God might put you into a place where you are not equipped just so that he will get the glory more. And God responds to Moses' lack of skills with a promise to equip him. So you see, again and again and again through this passage, God has an answer for every single one of Moses' excuses. One by one, Moses lays them out, and one by one, God has an answer. So finally, we get to Moses' final excuse in verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Send someone else. His final excuse is, I, I just don't want to. <laughs> I just don't want to, God. Maybe this is the point that Moses is the most honest. You know, all the other reasons are just a, a smokescreen. Moses honestly just responds, I just don't want to do it. Think back to his first excuse, and his first, first excuse was, who am I? Like, it sounds so humble. It sounds, you mean, that's spiritual. How do you argue with that answer? If God is telling you to do something, though, and you refuse, that's not humility, that's disobedience. Text says that God actually gets angry with Moses in verse 14. The, Lord angers, the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you. He will be glad to see you. You should speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if you were his mouth, as if he was your mouth, and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. I think it's so interesting here. God already had Aaron coming to meet Moses. He already knew the excuses that Moses would lay out. God has an answer for every single one of Moses' excuse. And Moses has no more excuses. And so Moses goes to his father-in-law, Jethro, and uh, Jethro says, go in peace, and Moses leaves for Egypt. He's finally on the path to his purpose. I just find, fortunately, God didn't give up on Moses due to his excuses. And Moses, to his credit, ultimately didn't let his excuses keep him from what God had called him to do. So I'll ask you again as we get ready to close. Have you made a habit of making excuses to God? Have you been running in the opposite direction? Have you been hiding from what you feel like God has called you to do? I think the promise from Moses' life is that God has a solution for every single one of your excuses. He has good for your future, and not just good, he has things that he wants for you to do that are part of his grand plan on earth. And so what are you waiting for? Stop making excuses. 
Right now, I want to give you an opportunity to just engage with God. I said at the beginning that for some of you, God might be wanting to use you to to step into a situation of helping repair a broken relationship or a broken marriage. And I might have said that earlier, and a, a name or a situation came to mind. And right now, in this space, say, you know what? I don't care if it's awkward. I don't care if it feels weird right now. God is saying, you need to move in that situation and respond to God's call. Or maybe when I mentioned working with kids, being gifted to work with kids, you've been saying no for all the, all the wrong reasons on why you can't actually step in and make a difference. And you, your heart breaks when you hear about kids in desperate situations. And God is saying, you need to take a step in a direction of discovering how I want to use you to love kids in the name of Christ. For some of you, you've overcome incredible struggle in your life. A couple months ago, we talked about the launching of Celebrate Recovery, and something stirred in your heart where you felt like, I need to be part of that, either for yourself or for someone else. But eventually that feeling went away, and you didn't respond, and you waited. And now here's your chance. What's holding you back from what God wants to do in your life? What excuses have you been making to God? And here in this space, I want to give you an opportunity to turn and to run to the Father The amazing thing about God is that he doesn't care, you know, where you've been in the past. He wants to know, are you available for me now? He wants to give your life purpose and meaning. He wants to fill you with good things to do on this this planet Earth. And so would you stand with me right now? As we get ready to close in worship, would you just close your eyes? Would you just ask honestly, God, what is your... What is your purpose for me? What is your calling for me? What are you calling me to do? Here in this space. Father, I ask for your spirit's leading in our hearts and minds. God, that you give us a hunger and a desire to do what it is you want us to do. God, that you use your people to fulfill out your mission on earth is an incredible privilege. So Father, would you lead us? And God, would you forgive us for areas that we have withheld, areas where we've made excuses and held back? God, thank you for forgiving us in those situations. God, would you give us courage to rise up and to rise to the calling that you've you've made for your people? We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship together.